the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. You can sometimes wonder, why did God allow him to get away with it? Like even for three years. But in God's timing, he will bring justice where justice is needed. Most of the time that we feel like injustices have been committed against us, we think God is slow in dealing with people who have done wrong against us. But God in his timing will deal with people when he needs to and how he needs to. And that part is up to him. It can really be hard to submit yourself to God's timing. Even harder when you feel like someone's hurt you and deserves His wrath. Why does He just sit by and allow evil to happen? As Pastor Gary continues our study of the book of Judges in today's message, he'll remind us how vital it is that we trust God's timing. It's not easy, but God is God and His will is perfect. He promises to bring good out of even the worst circumstances for those who place their trust in Him, and we can believe that promise. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 9, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Joshua, chapter 24. Look at verse 23. Now, this is Joshua speaking. This is before Joshua dies. He's been the leader of of Israel. He inherited the leadership role from Moses. It was God's appointment. And these are some of his parting words that he says to the Israelites. Now, this is Joshua 24, verse 23. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve And his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute, not a statute, okay? This is a law and an ordinance in where? Shechem, okay? Next verse. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone. Here's the pillar. And set it up there under the oak this is the terebinth tree that was, in, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone, this pillar here, will be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And so Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Your attention. 
where they have just crowned Abimelech and made him this unrighteous king by their own evil design, following the slaughter of all of Gideon's sons, happened at the very location where Joshua set up the stone as a witness against them that they should never depart from the word of God. This is tragic irony. I almost envision, there's this pillar, I almost envision them kind of like leaning on it, leaning on the very thing that was supposed to be a reminder to them. You better follow God. You better follow his word. You better obey everything that God says. And they're leaning on it like, yeah, Abimelech, that was a good move. You know, you slaughtered all those, you know, those children of Gideon, and now it's time for us to crown you king. Like such defiance and disregard for the standard of God. And they're making this guy king in the shadow of the very thing that that was supposed to remind them, do not, do not depart from the law of God or it will be to your own peril. And this is what they're doing. This is the scene now back here in, in Judges chapter 9. You can turn back there. So it's just, it's very sad here because what we realize is they did, they did not read nor did they heed the word of God. They did not read it nor did they heed it because here they are denying the word of God and defying the word of God. And the further you stray from God and his word, the more your human nature will rule the day. And it's, it's a terrible thing. And so, keep reading verse 7. Now, when they told Jotham, okay, remember Jotham, he was the youngest son of Gideon who escaped the slaughter. So he, you know, he took off, he ran, he hid. And when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out and he said to them. Okay, now, do you remember uh, Mount Gerizim? Because that was also back in the book of Joshua. And before that, it was in the book of Deuteronomy. There were two mountains in Israel. They're still there today, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And what Moses instructed in Deuteronomy 7 transpired in Joshua chapter 8. In Deuteronomy 27, Moses said, when you guys get to the promised land, I want you to divide the Israelites in half, and I want half of the Israelites to stand on Mount Gerizim and read the blessings if you obey the word of God. Here's what's going to happen in your life if you obey God's word. The other half of the Israelites stand on Mount Ebal. They're right next to each other with Shechem in the middle, a little valley in the middle. And, and those standing on Mount Ebal are to read the curses. Here's what's going to happen if you disobey the word of God. So Gerizim and Ebal. And so Jotham takes to Mount Gerizim, the very place that they remember the law of God was read and all the blessings of God. And he gives this warning. Now, you know, this is a brave guy because he, you know, he hightailed it out of there when he saw Abimelech slaughtering all of his brothers. But now he shows up on Mount Gerizim. He's a little emboldened here. And he he is going to, you know, recite this parable that comes from his heart. You know, so, I don't know, maybe it was a rap, I don't know, you know, but here, he's on Mount Gerizim rapping, but here's, here's what it is. And he said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? And then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? And then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new vine? 
my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees. Okay, your attention for a second. So he's, you know, reciting this kind of parable thing to the men of Shechem. And what, what we find out is this, it's going to be this confrontational, basically a rebuke that he puts kind of in a poetic way as a parable. And he says there are three, I mean, a vine is not really a tree, but, but there are three trees. There, there are three, um, you know, uh, two trees and a, and a vine. And these are noble things. You know, you have an olive tree, you have a fig tree, and you have a vine that produces grapes and produces wine. And so, and he puts it in these parable terms. He goes, you know, the trees ask the olive tree, would you rule over us? And the olive tree's like, no, 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 I, I'm not going to do that. That's not my role. That's not my place. What about the fig tree? No, 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 that's not my place. I've got fruit to produce. What about the vine? No, 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 no that's not my place. I, I don't want to do this. So it's pictures of, of people who um, are refusing. They're reluctant to, to reign over the people. But now he, he switches in the parable and he, and he moves on to a bramble or some of your translations say a thorn bush. And this is a picture of Abimelech, okay? In verse 14, he says, then all the trees said to the bramble or the thorn bush, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And so this thorn bush or this bramble, you know, he's using these parable terms. It's a picture of Abimelech. Everybody knows what he's saying here. He's like, you know, the righteous, the righteous trees wouldn't have anything to do with trying to reign and rule over people. That's God's choice. But there's this one thorn bush among us, and he's asserted himself as king, and he's, he's happy to be your king, which is ironic in the sense because he says that the thorn bush says, why don't you come and, and get shade underneath me? Well, there's no shade under a thorn bush. And so, you know, it's all irony in the language here. And, and he says, but you know what? He says, this is who you want? Let, let fire come out of this thorn bush and devour the cedars of Lebanon, all the rest of you. And so he gives this, it's this like rebuke in parable poetic terms. And then he goes on to say, now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, this is sarcasm, he knows that they haven't. And if you have dealt well with Jeroboam, Gideon, and his house, which they haven't, they've slaughtered all the sons, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you. Okay, now he interjects, this is truth here. My father fought for you. He risked his life and he delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. Then he goes back and he goes, if, if you've acted in truth and sincerity, I mean, if you guys really are, you know, know what you're doing here with Jeroboam, with Gideon and his house this day, then rejoice. You know, be happy in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And then notice, and Jotham ran away and fled. <laughs> and he went to beer because he needed some after that speech. And, uh, and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. So, you know, he's emboldened for the moment. Like, he goes up on Mount Gerizim. He's like, let me tell you this little poem. You know, you guys get the poem? Abimelech is the thorn bush. What are you guys doing? I mean, if you're really sincere about this, and if you've done well by my father, then okay, you know what you're doing. But if you don't, then may Abimelech strike you with fire, may you strike him with fire. I hope you guys turn on each other and devour each other. Bye, and he hightails it out. And he And he runs. And this is the last that we hear of that guy, too. 
And so verse 22, after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, I mean, it just went on for three years. God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who added him in the killing of his brothers. Now, can I just interject at this point? You know, look, God allowed him to reign for three years. Again, God was not in favor of it. God did not appoint Abimelech. It was an illegitimate reign. But you can sometimes wonder, why did God allow him to get away with it? Like even for three years. But in God's timing, he will bring justice where justice is needed. Most of the time that we feel like injustices have been committed against us, we think God is slow in dealing with people who have done wrong against us. But God in his timing will deal with people when he needs to and how he needs to. And that part is up to him. Three years he allows to go by here. I don't know. You know, maybe God was hoping that Abimelech would turn and repent. Um, Whatever God's reason is, God's timing is always his prerogative. But he is going to turn them on each other here. And and Abimelech is going to come to a tragic end. Let me see if if we can hopefully get to the end of this chapter before we have to go. But, but here it goes. So, verse 25, And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told Abimelech. Okay, so basically what this is, in modern terms, we would call this economic sanctions. What, what the men of Shechem are doing is they're interrupting the trade route. Abimelech is gathering wealth and fame because of his role And there are people who are scared of him. So this trade route is coming along. And what this verse is telling us is that the men of Shechem interrupted the trade route. They started robbing the the people who were trading before they could get to Abimelech. So this is like economic sanctions against Abimelech. Before they, you know, really deal with Abimelech, they're like, well, we're just going to cut off some of his financial supply, you know, by, you know, interrupting the trade route. And we're going to steal all the money that's coming through the trade. And that's going to hurt him a little bit. Well, verse verse 20 uh, Six. Now Gael, Gaal, the son of Abed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So now there's internal struggles here. And so they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. They're, get, they're getting drunk here on the wine. And they went into the house of their God, because they're still in idolatry, and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Okay, so the tide is turning against Abimelech here. And then Gaal, the son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam and is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority... Then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So now this is, you know, he's taunting. So Gaal now is asserting himself. He's like, and says to the men of Shechem, we don't really like Abimelech anymore. I should be your king. And so he taunts Abimelech, come and fight us, come and fight us. Not a good thing after you've been drinking, by the way. Okay, not a good thing. But it says in verse 30, that when... Zabul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Abed. His anger was aroused. We're going to see his anger is aroused at Gaal. He's loyal to Abimelech. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly saying, take note, 
Gaal, the son of Abed and his brothers have come to Shechem and here they are fortifying the city against you. Now therefore get up by night, you and the people who are with you and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. And so Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. Isn't this interesting? The very people who crowned him, he's now going to war against. So there's all this internal fighting because God has sent this spirit of ill will. You know, he, God is allowing some kind of demonic influence here to come in between them, to stir up this conflict. And so here comes Abimelech lying in wait, verse 35. And when Gaal, the son of Abed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, because he doesn't know that the battle is about to happen. Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, who's the city leader, look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, you see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. Like, you know, he's playing with them. Like, I don't think those are soldiers. Well, he's already tipped off Abimelech. So of course he knows they're soldiers. And so Gaal spoke again and said, see, people are coming down from the center of the land. And another company is coming from the diviners, Terebinth tree. And then Zebul said to him, where indeed is your mouth now (laughs) with which you said, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. And so Zabel is saying to him, tough guy, huh? You're a tough guy. You were doing all that tough talk, you know, and now that Abimelech and his army is coming against you, not so tough anymore, are you? And so there's going to be war here. Gaal. In verse 39, Gaal went out leading the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him and he fled from him and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. And then Abimelech dwelt at Arumah and Zabel drove out Gaal and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. So, you know, the the attempted coup here is, is put out. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. And so he took his people, divided them into three companies and lay in wait in the field. And he looked and there were the people coming out of the city and he rose against them and attacked them. He's killing his own people. And then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. This is Shechem. He took the city and killed the people who were in it and he demolished the city And sowed it with salt. That was a way that they would, you know, cleanse a ground and make sure nothing else grew there. And, and, you know, you have putrefying bodies. And so the salt is, you know, supposed to deal with, with that whole mess. Look, again, this guy is so power hungry that he's killing his own people to retain his leadership role. And Shechem would not be rebuilt until the reign of Jeroboam the first who was king over Israel for a time, and it would be almost two centuries later. So Shechem is going to lie just desolate under this salt for almost 200 years. It says, keep reading, verse 46, Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Bereth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered there together. 
And then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. And then he said to the people who were with him, what you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. And so each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech and put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died about a thousand men and women. Okay, so you get the picture that, you know, after he conquers the city, there's still this one tower that is standing. About a thousand men and women find, you know, refuge in this tower. And Abimelech says, well, we're going to take the tower down. And he goes up on the hill and with his band of, of an army. And he says, all right, cut down these, you know, limbs like I'm doing, carry them all back. And they basically make a bonfire underneath the tower. They light it on fire and they smoke them all out and they kill them as a result of the fire. So about a thousand died that day. And so now they're done. And it says, and then Abimelech went to Thebes. You know, he's, now he's, now he's, he's got this hunger now to, to continue to do this. So now he went to Thebes and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city and all the men and women, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. And then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Okay, he's trying the same thing. But now look at this. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. So you got the picture like there, this people in the town of Thebes, they're all up in this tower and Abimelech's going to do the same thing he did in Shechem. He's getting ready to light a bonfire and he's down below laying all the the sticks and stuff. And this woman looks out the window and she's like, I'm going to take care of that guy. And she, she heaves a millstone. We don't know how big it is, but you know, she, it usually, those are the things that, you know, that donkeys would, would turn. They'd be harnessed to a millstone and, and donkeys would, would go in a circle around another stone that this that the millstone would lay on top of to to crush wheat or to to press olives one or the other and she she hauls a whole millstone however big it is and she manages to roll it out the window and down onto Abimelech it goes and it crushes his skull now it doesn't kill him not yet because look look what he says it says then he called quickly to the young man his armor bearer and said to him draw your sword and kill me lest lest men say of me a woman killed me I, I can't die like this. Like, I mean, I'm a soldier. I've been killing a bunch of people. And now uh, what, what's going to be written on my tomb, tombstone? You know, a woman killed me. So I, that can't happen. You know, I'm too tough for that. So kill me, he says to his armor bearer. You kill me. And so his young man thrust him through and he died. There you go. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Okay, he's dead. Let's just go home. That's what happens. Do you ever get the picture here throughout this historical record that whenever a leader died, the people were just like helpless? And so it would rise and fall on leadership, which is, you know, often still the case, which is why you have to make sure, you know, there are good leaders because a lot of things rise and fall on leaders. Now, you know, as followers of Christ, we should always, everything just only rises on Christ and everything should be built on Christ. You know, when human vessels get involved, they're frail, they're sinful, sometimes they're corrupt, sometimes they're righteous, sometimes they, they honor God, and sometimes not. And, but it's a terrible thing for you to base your life on a human leader because as leaders come and go, they rise, they fall, they, um, they you know, are, are people who do well, and then other times they don't do well. That's what you see happening here. Our leader's dead, let's go home, they're helpless. And verse 56 says, 
And thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads. And on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. What that young guy had said on Mount Gerizim came to pass with these guys here. Thank you for joining us today here on Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Judges. It's a great reminder to the kid inside us, to the human flesh that is a bent to fulfill its own desires. Whatever we do, someone always sees it. Nothing goes unnoticed, especially those things we wished had been overlooked. Isn't that the role of a parent, though, to discipline the behavior of sin? Jesus is the same way with the Israelite nation and us. He doesn't allow sin to go without consequence. But He's also lovingly fair and desires each one of us to return to Him. Maybe you felt like that kid who's gotten off track with God. We can't be perfect, but we can pray that we'll have the strength to do what's right and follow in God's footsteps. Are you struggling with that? Would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry located in Leesburg, Virginia, committed to sharing the love of Christ with you through sound biblical teachings that meet you where you're at. To find out more about us, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.